0: The very fiber of American food is rooted in indentured servitude, immigrant influence. Nashville hot fried chicken, perfect example. In Tennessee, Prince's was the original hot fried chicken, mm. owned by black man, black black family. You can now count at least six to ten hot chicken restaurants that are white owned.
1: Welcome to Voices of Esalen, I'm Sam Stern. Today our episode features a conversation between my colleague Esray Peoples and Chef Elle Simone. During their conversation, Chef Elle and Esray trace the relationship between cuisine and American culture. They reflect upon the role of food and flavor in the shaping of our nation, and peek into what the future of culinary experience could be like within the context of a truly free and inclusive country. Chef Elle Simone is a well-known American chef, culinary producer, test cook, and food stylist. In 2013, after realizing that women and people of color were underrepresented among chefs, she founded SheChef, a mentoring and networking organization for women of color in the culinary field. She can be seen on PBS on America's Test Kitchen, and is the first African-American woman to appear as a regular host on that show. Chef Elle is also a survivor of ovarian cancer, and shows up as an activist and representative in that space. S. Ray Peoples is associate director of diversity and inclusion education at Tufts University. She has over 25 years of experience serving in leadership roles that revolve around social justice in the arts, education, political, and nonprofit sectors. She advises organizations on how to best create internal conditions that allow equity, diversity, inclusion, and justice to flourish. Her opinions and writings have been featured in the Washington Post, Oakland Post, Blogher, and YFS Magazine. Esrae is currently rooted in motherhood, love, and community in Somerville, Massachusetts, and we are so happy to have her as a contributor to this show.
2: All right, so I am Esrae Peoples. I have Chef Elle Simone with me to step into a a brief conversation today. Just a longtime friend and colleague, very much admire how Chef El Simone just kind of shows up in the world. And her thoughts and her creativity and her words and insights with this project. So I'm gonna just dive in. I'm gonna have you introduce yourself. I think it's more authentic for folks to just introduce themselves than the person introducing <laughs> introducing you. So if you could just tell us how you are currently showing up in the world, how you're contributing or investing in the quality of like just our collective human experience. And then what are, are, you know, perhaps your identities and values that you're bringing into the space, into our conversation today that's going to ground us in our conversation?
0: Sure. So my name is Elle Simone Scott. I'm a native Detroiter. I currently live in the greater Boston slash New England area. I am by trade a culinarian a food stylist Mm. which is an extension of making food appealing for consumers and i work in culinary media which is multidisciplinary right it's um Mm -hmm. magazine, it's tv it's podcasts at some point it had been radio and you know those are just small boxes of like larger Mm -hmm. one one larger box of culinary media that is ever changing and evolving as new generations come along it looks different I've been doing this work for almost 15 years, and I feel like it's a a large part of who I am and what I do, but sometimes I feel in the grand scheme of what life requires, it's a small part of what what I do. So I I show up in spaces of um, ovarian cancer advocacy. I Mm. show up um, in spaces of All of the isms that fall under any profession, especially culinary, um, racism, classism, sexism. I show up in advocacy for marginalized people by way of my organization called SheChef. Incorporated, which specifically focuses on the the advocacy, growth, and development of women of color in food spaces, even more specifically Black women in food spaces. I also show up in the world as um, a matriarch for my family and also I think just an overall community service person. I was raised Um, Having to do a lot of community service as a child, you know, it was not optional. Mm -hmm. Uh, When my friends were having paid summer jobs, I had to volunteer. (laughs) So, you know, I, you know, that I have a service gene, as I like to refer to it, you know, so like anywhere where there's service needed that I have the capacity to fulfill, I do. And so I think, you know, those are my primary spaces. Of course, I'm a woman, I'm a Black woman, I'm queer. You know, so I'm always, you know, always just naturally by waking up every day, showing up in those spaces. Um, I, in the past, have been far more active in the LGBTQIA plus community, but ovarian cancer is kind of like my current banner. So that takes up a good amount of my time. And, and mm-hmm. I'm a daughter, a partner and aspiring to be other things in life. So I show up as a person who's always searching for pieces of my identity in the world, putting the puzzle pieces together to fulfill my destiny of completing the puzzle one day so that I can r- transition peacefully to the next realm, you know?
2: Right. Right. That's beautiful. And that I, I had a smile on my face when you're about community service and that just being a gene I remember, Growing up, you know, back in the day, I don't know if all high schools were like this, but I remember in high school, it was a requisite to put in a community service, like it was a part of, yeah. like, I had to put in a certain amount of hours in order to be, in order to graduate, right? Yes. Um, so yeah. while people were holding down jobs at the mall, and getting discounts on clothes, I was painting fences at a library, you know?
0: Yeah, habitat, <laughs> good old habitat for humanity, and, you know, yeah. <laughs> Right. All of those things.
2: All yeah. of those things and all of the pieces that you lifted up, you know, how you show up in the world. And and I also smile when you offer that you are a matriarch for your family. I and mean, it's absolutely fascinating to me that when you traditionally think of matriarchs, I think of like an older person. I think of, you know, grandmothers and great great aunts or great great grandmothers. And it's just indicative of like the shifting of culture and time that yeah. you know, many um, I, you know, like for myself i'm I'm a gen Xer, right, so many gen Xers you know early mid forties even late, like are stepping into these very meaningful, very important roles, particularly within the black community like the 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 role of a matriarch is profound and and it seems like it you know people stepping into those roles are a bit younger than they have traditionally been, all of the things and the ways in which you're showing up. Ultimately, it's like seems to be grounded in relationships, relationship with yourself, right? And how that translates into the breadth and depth of relationships with others around you and your community. So that's fascinating as well. Given your background, what are your thoughts on both the historical and modern role that food has had in our collective human experience? And in your opinion, what role has it had within particularly movements around justice and liberation?
0: That's a really, that's a very interesting question um, that I don't get asked often, but I think is extremely important. And to be honest with you, I am just scratching the surface on the deep dive that is probably the real answer to that question. But the very fiber of American food is rooted in indentured servitude, immigrant influence. While it seems, you know, probably even as I'm saying it, and somebody might be listening to this and think like, well, yeah, I mean, this they call America the melting pot, you know? Right. And it's like, you know, that might be true, but like whether people actually accept this melting pot from a culinary perspective is actually very different, right? Mm-hmm. Tony Tuchin Martin wrote a book called The Jemima Code, and the mm. Jemima called basically explored cookbooks of the early 19th century in America and their authors and their credits, right? Like who, who actually wrote this book? You know, where, what are, what are the the source of these recipes, right? Because as we know, there is a certain time in history when, when there would have been no white people cooking food in their own kitchens, right? And and not only is a part of that history a part of the horrific historical act of slavery, but it it, it also actually carried over until mid and almost late nineteenth century, right? Like up nineteen fifty is yeah, probably you still have folks I, that you still have the help and people coming in yeah. to for you. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's probably the the most recent documented, you know, indentured servitude related to food specifically, right, that remained, right? Like that was like the last piece, someone to care for the children, someone to cook the food, right? right? So these recipes that these housewives were sharing at their dinner parties and, you know, inviting friends over for were recipes that were not created by them or cooked by them. They were cooked by the help. By right. The, right. Um, but but these women also, these same white women who did not produce one single recipe, also wrote cookbooks using the recipes that they were ins- not, and not saying inspired by. I'm using the word inspired by the recipes that their, the help cooked for them and their families and their friends as they grow there. Right. So there's a very distorted, Past, as with most things in, in the US as it relates to mm-hmm. food originality, food, you know credit for uh, recipes and service, right and, and so that is kind of the beginning of the culinary history right of this world. And then also immigrants who come over to this country. we're talking about Africans who were enslaved who brought seeds over in their in their hair. you know it can get it, it can get deep and wide really, really fast when we talk about the fabric of food in this country. Yes, yep, yep. And so, you know, all of the things. It, it, all the things, right? It gets really really deep. All the things. And you know, we want to say, you know, we're having huge conversations right now about like cultural appropriation versus appreciation in the culinary industry, right? Like we're talking about people considering cultural foods as fast food, right? Like for how for forever, we call Chinese food carryout, right? Yeah. Mhm. And, and not because we literally carry it out, but it is a language used to diminish the relevancy and, and the value, and the value yeah. right? E- yeah. Even erasure mm-hmm. of culture and food, right? There's been lots of conversations going on about how do we take food out of this particular cultural aspect of treating it like it's not uh, important. You know? Right, right, and
2: that kind of arcs back to um, this notion of the melt of melting pot, right? Um, I was in, yes. a, in a conversation. Um, I attended a, a webinar a couple of days ago when we kind of peeled back the layers around melting pot, and while mm-hmm. at first hearing of it or originally it was meant to suggest that we're all in this together all of us make up this wonderful juicy pot of whatever this melting right you know whatever it is and it's great but the flip side of that is if everything is melted into each other there's no distinction and there's no no. it's diluted it's diluted so there's in talking about like erasure for example the example with the Chinese food to simply call it takeout in the melting pot framework it like you said, like it loses the value. You lose what the 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 culture and the flavors and the spices and the time and the heat and the cooling down of making a dish. You lose all of that when you simply say carry-out or simply dump it into a melting pot. Right? It loses right. all. It, it 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 severely compromises.
0: Right? It severely compromises. Uh, I mean, even to take yeah. it a step further, that really, it's Chinese American food. Yeah. Chinese American food that's considered takeout, you know, and it diminishes the Chinese American experience in this country and you know what they had to do to establish themselves, you know, in in this country. And and just apply that same principle to every culture. Every culture, yeah. you know, every culture, every single one. And um, you know, I, I think that people really don't realize, you know, how impactful these same patriarchal, capitalistic concepts Roll right into the kitchen, you know. Right, even, right. even, even to the kitchen hierarchy system that is based on the French kitchen brigade, which is only men, right? Mm-hmm. It, it tips its toe in a lot of different ponds, you right. know. And within patriarchy,
2: like the 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 permission to absorb yes. someone's creativity as your own, right? Because that yes. still periods over, like you know. I think about high on the hog on Netflix and just, you know, how like Southern cuisine and the, you know, the black community, how that the evolution of black American food, for example, right?
0: Yes, yeah, um, but you know what else? That, that tends to dilute also the black American experience in regions other than the South, right? Like yeah, yeah. It's, it's the focus because you know, that's really where our we like to think for black Americans. I mean, we, we know that's where our history starts. But like right. we don't think about the black Americans in Kansas or the Midwest yeah. in Michigan, Midwest. you know, right. you know, all the all of the influences that black cooking, black food. Chinese cooking Chinese food all, you know all these cultures, really yeah. Yeah, yeah you know so it, it, it gets it gets
2: and it, who's is, who's benefiting who like the restaurants that we have like it you know even though it's in the south but it could be in different regions the midwest wherever you go there are restaurants that aren't black owned but are mm-hmm. offering up black cuisine and making yes. money off of it right so like in terms, perfect of-
0: example <laughs> Perfect example, Nashville Hot Fried Chicken, right? In Tennessee, Prince's was the original hot fried chicken, mm. owned by a black man, black black family. You can now count at least six to ten hot chicken restaurants that are white owned, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Just a KFC example. KFC quick is doing it, right? That's just a quick example, right? I'm going to move us forward, and I'd like to invite you briefly to think about fast forwarding to America's future, right? So maybe 30 years out is 2052 our national context isn't is a future where we don't have to we're no longer existing within supremacist frameworks whether that's racial supremacy white supremacy patriarchy economic supremacy capitalism we're no longer in that framework and we're no longer actively resisting supremacist mindset right my question is like what does that 2052 america look like and feel like for you and your body How do you see food presenting itself in that 2052 experience? I
0: I think I see 2052 looking like a time where food will be presented with its historical context without question or explanation, right? Like enjoying Joloff rice without having to talk about the history of rice and, you know, like... (laughs) Just know, you know, like this is Nigerian jollof rice. This is Ghanaian jollof rice, you know, like without explanation and without uh, persuasion. Yeah, you know, without having to, you know, really get into why these foods are important, right? People Mm -hmm. really enjoying food because of the ultimate importance of having world cuisine and food knowledge, right? Like Mm -hmm. I definitely see more women chefs at the helm of that. And I see people having pride in their cuisine being explored in an authentic way, you know. That I think I think and the, and what is really comforting is that we are actually already moving in that direction. The needle has been lifted and reset, you know, and, and people are feeling you know, feeling more affirmed in their identity as it relates to food. So publications, the New York Times, the Washington Post, all of these outlets that have like major food emphasis are excited about moving in that direction mm-hmm. because the complexity of food is so welcomed and it's so exciting. And it just brings so much more real context to this, the, the cultural experience of being an American, In general, you know, and so I I feel like 2052 is going to look like that, but like super shiny and uh, more polished and, you know, definitely more publications, books, podcasts, you know, all those things, if they even still exist in 2052, right, I feel like these conversations will be led with, uh, you know, without that patriarchal scope, right, they'll be led Mm -hmm just going right into like let's explore this food you know and um it's gonna that's gonna be an exciting time I hope I'm here right. to to see a little bit of it
2: <laughs> I hope so too and what you you know like let's just explore this food let's just taste it and enjoy it together without any like you're saying you know when not having to explain right yes. the history because I you know when I was listening to you you know I was thinking you know Man, when we do explain or give context, it's it's ask in a sense, it feels like it might feel like us asking permission uh-huh. to be asking permission to taste this Nigerian joke right? Ghanaian uh-huh. jollof, like asking permission in a space that wouldn't necessarily grant us permission. And in the world that you know, in the America that you're talking about in 2052 is kind of like being and enjoying food without asking permission right because it all simply belongs right
0: yes 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 i mean and i hope that even amongst the varying cultures that that even happens right i think that's what i hope the most right because we even in the the Black food community, right? We have these really interesting conversations about like, how do you make your grits with sugar or with salt and pepper and butter, right? Right. Or, you know, and, and a perfect example is also the jollof rice, like re, mm. different regions make it different, you know, and amongst the like groups, we're having conversations about whose way is the right way, you know? Like we have, right. in the mid, in the Midwest, we have this thing, which you, I know you're aware of, we serve fried fish with spaghetti, right? Right. Like that's a very common combination. And there are still, there are people who look like the people who cook that way who are, you know, who question the validity of it, like, no, you don't do that, you're not supposed to do that, you know, so even amongst the cultural groups, not, you know, not diminishing, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, like, not Mm -hmm. diminishing the very individual experience of being whatever you are in America, you know, like, there should be no conversation or competition, or right or wrong, yes, right or wrong amongst, like, you know, like, Sichuan Cantonese, food versus American Chinese food. These are all real life experiences. So I I hope in 2052 that it looks like coexistence amongst the like tribes about the ways in which they have had this very real experience of being in this country and how it all really is interwoven and really um, supports one another. You know, like there's no American Chinese food without Chinese food, right? Like the American Chinese right. food shows the legacy, the survival, you know, the attempts to survive and the attempts to m- retain cultural aspects, but while becoming who we have to become to, to live in this country, right? Like right. there, those you can't have one without the other. One without
2: right? right. If you if you unravel one of that thread, you again you compromise. It, it's not a tapestry. Yes, that's that's whole right? Yep. If you yep. take out one piece of that thread or the color in the, the weave of it, it's no longer a whole fabric. Literally there will be holes
0: in it. Yep. yep. You know? There will be holes. Someone's story is not going to get told and we can't, we can't have that, right? Like that's right. not, that's not, we can't. <laughs> that's just
2: not a thing anymore. And, and, yep. and not having, you know, a part of this, but what I'm hearing too is in the pursuit of having all of the stories told, you actually have to reject or like you you have to refuse the notion of binary, right? Like yes, <laughs> black, yes. white, wrong, right, <laughs> right? Yep. All of the all of the either or, you know, and it has to be a, a more of, of an intentioned collective and both and all, right? Because without yep. and all. You actually will eventually have nothing, right? If you're if you're taking out pieces of the fabric and creating holes, eventually there's there there is no tapestry, right?
0: There's no us. Yep.
2: Yep. Wow. Yep. Um, we just had a sermon, and we need to <laughs> okay <laughs> open the doors to the church. Um, I guess my my um before we wrap up, you mentioned briefly that, you know, there are conversations already happening and the needle has really already been picked up and placed in a way that places us on a different trajectory towards what we, have you know, this futuristic America and what yes food tastes like and looks like and is how it's talked about. I'm wondering from your vantage point, if there are any additional Are there additional conversations we should be having or are there like in the conversations, are there gaps that we might want to consider filling so that we have more of a robust conversation moving us forward?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and, you know, this probably could be a whole another conversation in and of itself. But,
2: Mm.
0: you know, when we're talking about food and 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 America and, you know, culture and ethnicities, you know, we're talking about, you know, socioeconomic issues that come to the forefront, such as like food insecurity, food accessibility, right? You know, at America's Test Kitchen, where I work, um, this is not a plug, but one of the ways in which we approach creating recipes there is how accessible are the, the ingredients to the home cook, right? Like, we are, trying to bridge this divide between how can we teach the home cook how to cook these wonderful recipes from these different regions of the world, um, but also teach them how to do so with ingredients that are accessible at their local market, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's that piece. Like, how do you do that without diluting the authenticity of the recipe, right? I mean, the this, thing, is the, right? this is the kind of the conversation we have about um, cultural appropriation versus appreciation when it comes to creating um, executing recipes so mm-hmm. there's that piece but then we talk about does everyone in the country have access to the same basic ingredients which kind of moves into the food insecurity food desert right. conversation right Social like economic conversation yes. capitalism yeah
2: right?
0: yeah yep yeah. yep you know like what who what's accessible in what neighborhoods and why or why not right so like that is the real mm-hmm. i think that's a that's the beginning of, of the real food conversation in this country you know like we could we could of course always approach it quickly and inevitably from the food culture perspective but like who can even cook healthy foods at all right like who right. who even has an option to cook the way that they would like to cook, right? Like I might have ideas about cooking a certain way. When I go visit some of my relatives in Detroit, I I remember going home for Indigenous Persons Day, right? And Mm -hmm. not being able to just get like fresh ingredients in my aunt's neighborhood, you know? And I think it was the first time I realized that I actually have, even though my relatives shop outside of their neighborhood for things that they need, because they have, they have access to do that. They have a car, they can get to, but you know, like if someone did not have all of the, the tools or the resources to do that, they're restricted to what's in their neighborhood and it's, and what's in their neighborhood is extremely limited. Right. Mm-hmm. Even, even maybe even towards what culturally they are accustomed to eating and, you know, in the first in place. their family. Yeah. yeah right. So yeah. like, You know, the beginning conversation has to be like, who has access to foods and why and why not and how and how not, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, of, of just like, you know, eating healthy, you know, or eating to your, towards your, your culture or demographic, like, can you, can that even happen for everyone, you know, and as long Mm -hmm. as the answer to that is no, the greater conversation in this country is about how is about food access, food health, you know, GMOs. It can go far and wide as with many mm-hmm. conversations, but like just just the average American having access to foods that are sustainable for life and living.
2: Right, thinking about food as a resource, ingredients for yeah. food as a resource, and then like saying like you know, as you're pointing to, if that question, if the response to the question is like no, then what? What do we need to do? Yeah, yeah. To give access to the resources, yeah. to the ingredients, to the cilantro, to the peppers, to the lettuce, right, right. To, because know, really,
0: food food shouldn't be even be considered a resource. Like food is right. is really that's like a right. That's you know, a like, basic
2: right, like water and education, right? So
0: <laughs> yes, it's a basic fun. It's like the basic fundamental need to live, breathe to, right, every day. Right. You have to feed your body. Right. So like, why is why is that even something that we have to, you know, be discussing or considering? Why is that an issue in a country that, you know, that is allegedly built on certain standards? And, you know, Mm -hmm. like, why are we having Mm -hmm. conversations about food access? You know, like everyone deserves food. Everyone deserves health care. Everyone deserves education that doesn't spiral them in debt, you know, like. It's a, right. basic, it's a basic right, need, right. you know, we should have, right? And if that doesn't happen in this country, and
2: why? Right, why? And then in 2052, moving us, like, what, what are the conversations we need to have to reset us, right? To yes. reset the notion, to move us out of these things being resources and all of these things being what's basic and what it is offered to all of us. Based Mm -hmm. off of like human dignity, right? Just off of that, right? So like, just changing that 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 narrative, and a part of this, like the other branch of this is, I would imagine, in terms of conversations, how do we? So how do we do all of what you just said (laughs) in those in the (laughs) conversation, and how do we, in terms of thinking about like becoming an ancestor and eventually at some, you know, like transitioning to our seat among the ancestors. What's the work that we need to do in the here and now, um, yes. with, with the younger generation? What do we need to pass on to them? Yes. Um, so that when we transition, they're already they have all of the, all of the things that they need to move their families forward and the and, and generations forward with regards mm-hmm. to 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 food and and yes. health and wealth in their health, right?
0: Yes. Yes, I think that I think that if, if we can, you know, if 2052 looks like um, real real cultural appreciation as it relates to food, like a sincere positioning about the importance of cultural relevancy and and um, you know preservation. I feel like if we if we're there in 2052, that means at some point before 2052. We will have embraced it as important and people will look at the communities as a true representation of that and realize that in order for that to happen, everyone has to have equal access to what they need in terms of food, right? Like, I can't show you how important it is to me to be Mexican-American in this country if I live in a neighborhood where i cannot even reproduce for you the very fabric which is the food right that's that's the beginning of it right the very right. fabric of the food culture i can't even reproduce that for you because i don't live where i have access so i feel like Mm -hmm. there's there's a there's a plug there's an outlet and there's a plug there right and Mm -hmm. if if you know we can put those two together then you know it will it will that will be the shift that makes 2052 as as we've just discussed it a reality
2: reality right I think that that is a great spot to end our conversation on like
0: (laughs) me too me too
1: thanks for listening to voices of esalen today's show is produced in conjunction with shira levine our theme music is by nico holloman next up we got louis schwartzberg talking about his new film the follow-up to fantastic fungi it's called gratitude revealed so until next time be well